Welcome to the Wordsmith Podcast. I'm Josh Bentley, pastor of Awakened Church, joined by Executive Pastor Shane, Jeremy Suggs. That's right. And our worship pastor, Matthew Grady Calhoun. Hey. We are back for another week of the Wordsmith Podcast. And we're going to get it kicked off with our conversation card of the week. What period of your life do you look back on fondly? And I guess maybe the question should be, what period of your life do you look back most fondly? I guess mine would be... Me and Jamie had been married a couple of years, started having kids, and started raising kids before go anywhere and do anything on their own. They all, you know, they needed us, and uh, they didn't talk back, and you know, that was a pretty good period. Since I don't remember much of my childhood, I don't know if there was any <laughs> of that part that I look back on fondly. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, that would be my answer to that. Would be when my kids were young yeah. and they needed me. They don't need me anymore, really. Mm. No, they do. They do, yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, take yeah. away the funding. They'll yeah. need you. Yeah. Well, they need my money. They don't need me. <laughs> There's a difference. You gotta, somebody's got to fix the car problems. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody got to buy the Chick fil A. Mm. Come on. Yeah, they still don't need me. Y'all are making me feel worse. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that because I remember one time calling my dad about new tires. Not, I didn't want him to pay for them. I, was, I wanted his opinion on new tires. But I didn't really want his opinion because I'd already bought the tires. But he didn't know that. Mm-hmm. But I just wanted him to think I needed him. And mm-hmm. so I called him and asked him what he thought of a certain... And luckily, he he was in favor of those tires because mm-hmm. I'd already bought them. Good, good, oh. good. But, so what would you have done if he's like, no, don't get those. Those are the worst tires ever. And then he sees them on your car. The well, we lived in Arizona at the time, so I'm not oh, sure okay. he would have seen them. Oh, okay. I, I took a gamble there. Yeah. But, I, I mean, I remember Paid specifically off, thinking, I'm going to call my dad and talk to him about this because I need something to talk to him about, yeah, and I want sure. him to think I need his opinion. Yeah. Yeah, my kids don't need my opinion. On. They got their minds made yeah. up, probably. I don't know. I still need my father's opinion on no shortage of things, particularly in the world of finance. Uh, all right, I'm re- I'm rejecting most fondly because I feel like I, I'd get in trouble if I picked something uh, and hurt, the wrong person heard it. I will make clear that my life right now is actually, I'm pretty fond of it. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty great right now. Uh, not only just... You but know, you're living it. You're not looking back. So you got to right. pick a part that's that right. you're looking back on. I mean, not just because... Uh, Pastor Matt said he's living in the good, good old days going right now. Right. I think I am. I'm <laughs> fairly his certain. his best life. <laughs> not only because I look forward to being able to uh, marry uh, Alyssa and take care of Layton and you know having a family, but... Uh, I mean, just the last few years have been uh, a lot of growth and a lot of health in my life. God's worked and done a lot in me. So, yeah, I mean, things are pretty swell right now. <laughs> I'm scared to say that loud because then, like, I get struck by lightning or something terrible. My car will finally break the apart. The devil will hear you. And that's right. The devil will hear you. But, no, so it, to answer this question in, in all truthfulness and um, sincerely, I, I guess my time at college in particular just— not the classes, although they were very good and very worthwhile, and um, I wouldn't be where I'm at or the pastor I am without my time at Welch in the academic sense, but really just my life at that time, uh, being able to still be that that awkward stage where you're an adult, but you're not really an adult. <laughs> sure. You have responsibilities, but you don't really have responsibilities. So being able to have that time again with my friends, being able to goof off and and go and haul and be able to be young and dumb and, and stupid. Um, man, it was... You were uh, kind of hipster back then, too, huh? What? I saw pictures. If Blake I Jordan ever hears this, he'll give me a hard time because we always go back and forth about who is more of a hipster. And it was definitely Blake for the sake of the record. Make sure we send this to Blake. <laughs> there is there is actually a photo in which I look very hipstery. Yeah. But that's because I was dressing like Blake dressed. So that might have been the photo you saw. Maybe uh, so. Maybe. You flannel, hat. Yes, that's exactly toms. it. Yeah. <laughs> so at the time I didn't wear toms, and I, I've never worn a hat. But Blake used to dress like that, and he denies it to this day, but he did. So I just dressed up like him one day. No, we were going to go, uh, we were going to make a Walmart run for supplies. And all of my clothes, and when I say all my clothes, I mean literally all of my clothes were in the washer or the dryer at the time. And it's like, man, I got nothing to wear. I can't go with you. And Thad Douglas was like, just just grab some of our clothes or whatever, because him and Blake roomed it together at the time. And I did. I, I wore Blake and, and Thad's clothes. It was a good huh. experience. So wait, was Thad a hipster too? 
No, because I, I can't picture Thad no, being a hipster. He's from Macon. You can't be a hipster and be from Macon. No. But no, he he maybe aspired could be a gangster from Macon. <laughs> that is definitely true. You can aspire to be a hipster, I guess. But no, I don't think he was truly a hipster. But yeah, I mean, just that time, that that youthfulness, the world being kind of open before you. All you could do all these different things. Uh, and just trying to figure your own self out and still kind of being a bit childish. You still had a safety way. net. Yeah, you still had a safety net. Yeah, it was it, it was a good time, and I definitely still remember those times fondly. Yeah, I can't remember which comedian said that the 20s are great because no one expects anything out of you. Mm-hmm. You know, this sounds, I guess, kind of cheesy because I'm thinking back through this. I, I'm pretty fond of most of my life. Um, you know, my childhood, I had a good childhood. I mean, we had... Well, good for you. <laughs> I'm sorry, Shane. I mean, you know, there were some rough patches. I mean, there were some childhood difficulties oh, sure. and things. But, I mean, for the most part, I'm fond of um, my childhood. I remember my dad and I having some great moments, mom and I having great moments, good family trips, that kind of stuff. Um, high school, not so bad. Mm-hmm. Football, friends, you know, good times. I, I didn't even think about college till you mentioned it. Yeah. Um, but you know, that was great. Met the love of your life there. Met the love of my life there. She turned me down first time. Three years later, she come to her senses, but <laughs> that's another story for another podcast. Um, maybe we've even talked about that on this podcast. I can't remember. Pastor Matt's thinking if we have or have trying to now. think, yeah. But I remember specifically right before graduating from college thinking, man, I live in a building with a hundred and something guys yeah. and we just have fun and goof off. And I was like... I'm going to look back one day and miss this. This is this is yeah. nice. Certainly, there were some aggravating things about that. But, oh, sure. Sure. but anyway, so when I, I put the word most in, because I'm trying to figure out you know, what time I'm most fond of. Uh, I, and I also enjoyed the years Ashley and I had before we had kids. But I'm going to go put a time frame on it. I'm going to say 2010 to 2015 is maybe my, most, my fondest mo- memories. And there was a couple of reasons. One... We had moved to Arizona, so Ashley and I were away from everything that was normal to us, kind of trailing our own, um, blazing our own trail. We were starting a church for the first time. We had our our first two kids during that time frame. And there was just a lot. And again, there were some, some difficult times. We had a miscarriage that really was difficult. But for the most part, man, those years were just a lot of fun. You know, very fond memories and moments and um, all of those things. But, you know, it's it's been pretty good. A lot of fond moments, but man, I remember holding my child for the first time. You remember that, Shane? You remember oh, holding yeah, Grace yeah, for the yeah, very first time? Yeah. I remember holding both of my kids for the first time. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah but there's, I mean, holding Finn for the first time was amazing too, but it was just something, that first moment that you're a parent and you look down and you're mm-hmm. just like, wow. Yeah, you're scared, excited. You, yeah. You, you know, so you're scared because you're unsure of the future, but... You're also excited because you're hopeful for the future. Yeah. Like, man, this is just this is gonna be mm-hmm. it. That's yeah. sort of thing. I remember I was scared to death to leave the hospital. Like we had almost like a little bit like they're just gonna let us take this child home. Yeah. Like yeah. we we don't know what to do. And um you realize every parent does that. <laughs> they leave and they have no idea what and we had taken yeah. all we'd taken all the premarital not premarital, pre baby classes, yeah, prenatal yeah. classes and, yeah. and we took classes Lamas. on how to change diapers mm-hmm. and how to yeah. give medicine. I mean, there were so many classes. And still, I walked away going, I got no clue. What, what, what if this baby yeah. They show you the how-to on how to change diapers, but they do not <laughs> walk you through the experience of actually changing that diaper, how awful it is. It is, man. Uh, we took a class on how to swaddle babies. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. That, I was pretty yeah, good at yeah. the swaddling thing. Yeah, man, wrap them like a little burrito. Yeah, you, you got to get that thing tight, though. Yeah. You got to get it really tight. But anyway, I mean, I just remember that moment going, wow, you know, this is just that 30 seconds or a minute when I first mm-hmm. held Sawyer and he opened his eyes. And, man, it was just it's amazing, amazing thing. So hard to pass. Over. Again, Finn, um, same kind of deal. My, at that point, I was trying to keep my wife from fighting the nurse because as soon as Finn was born, the first words out of the nurse's mouth was, wow, he doesn't even look like a newborn. Because he'd come out looking like a linebacker, man. He's just <laughs> big, round face. And my wife, I, I literally thought she was going to jump out of that bed and hit that lady. That was very offensive to her. It wasn't offensive to me. I thought it was a really? compliment. Sure, yeah. I was like, yeah, man. Come out looking like a linebacker. <laughs> but D1 scholarship. Men and women view things very differently. So, But anyway, very, very fond memories of the childhood of our kids. And, of course, Harper. I, I helped give birth to Harper. So, like... The doctor let me do that. That was pretty neat. So lots of fond memories. All right, well, let's transition into the text. Pastor Shane, 
Would you read for us Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 32? It says, Don't think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do it, do the same, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. So if you are offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly and you're with your adversary while you're on your way with him to the court or your adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. You have heard it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. It was also said whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in a case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Okay, so Jesus comes out of the gate and says, don't think that I've come here to abolish the law, but instead I've come to fulfill the law. So how did Jesus fulfill the law as opposed to abolish the law? Well, I mean, it's kind of in the question. Like he kept the law. Like he kept yeah. the law perfectly. Yeah. Uh, he did person. not break any part of the law. Mm-hmm. He... He he lived the life of perfect righteousness, mm-hmm. um, which which is what the intent, which is what the law requires, is to live a life of perfect righteousness. The only one to ever achieve that. So he he did yeah. that. He did what, what was yeah. not possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, the funny thing about this statement is if you ask the Pharisees, did Jesus come to fulfill the law or abolish it, they would resoundingly say he came to abolish it he's destroying it like mm-hmm. yeah um and so you kind of wrestle that question well why did the experts of the law think jesus was abolishing it and john calvin said it this way he said he only restored the law to its integrity by maintaining and purifying it when obscured by the falsehood and defiled by the leaven of the pharisees yeah. so in a lot of ways he was restoring the law that they had distorted yeah he clarified what yeah the law was and embodied it. Yeah. yeah. And you know. and I guess the short answer to why the Pharisees had so much trouble with that is they really misunderstood the law. Yes, yes, yes. Um terribly. Mm-hmm. So, so much so that they didn't see Jesus for who he was. Um Kent Hughes has a helpful discussion on this. He talks about five ways that Jesus fulfilled the law. He says first and foremost he fulfilled them through their messianic predictions. So all the the predictions and the, yeah, um, the prophecies of the, the Old pro- Testament prophets, pointing yeah. to Jesus. He said he also fulfilled the law by dying on the cross and satisfying the demands of mm-hmm. the law. Right. And he talks about you know the need for sacrifice, and that's the demands of the law. He also, and you guys said this one, third area of fulfillment was that Jesus perfectly kept all its commandments. Right. Um, the fourth one is that Jesus fulfills the law in believers by the means of the Holy Spirit. And so I had to stop for a second and think of that. Romans 8, 2 through 4 says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 
For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. For sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk according to the flesh, but instead, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Yeah, so, I think it's interesting, like, uh, through some of my readings on this particular part, people may read that at least uh, like a superficial reading would say, well, are we supposed to still keep the law, you know? Is yeah. it is it required? But, but no, through your relationship with Christ, you are keeping the law. Yes. But right. the the thing is, like, if... If we are still required to keep the letter of the law, that that would mean the law hasn't been fulfilled mm-hmm, because right. it's still trying to be fulfilled. So if we believe that Christ did fulfill the law, all we have to do is trust in His. And so it, it may be vicariously, but um, we are, by our relationship uh, tethered to Christ, are essentially keeping the law. And then his fifth way, he says that Christ fulfilled the law is by bringing the great doctrines of the Old Testament to fruition. And he um, quotes Bishop Ryle, The Old Testament is the gospel in the bud. The New Testament is the gospel in full flavor. Mm -hmm. The Old Testament is the gospel in the blade. The New Testament is the gospel in the ear. And I thought that was a beautiful way of saying that. Sure. But, yeah, ultimately that's what Jesus did. He fulfilled it. He brought meaning and purpose and flesh to the dry bones of the law. You know, we just did that series on um, like the Old Testament covenants, and it's it's coming alive right here. I mean, this is yeah. part of. You got to understand at least to some degree. You have to understand the covenants to be able to understand this yeah. section of New Testament scripture. Yeah, and I mean, I loved that series. You did a great job. You preached most of that series. Our church loved that series. Mm-hmm. I thought it did a great job shining light on these, and then following that series with the Roman series that kind of right yeah is. The fulfillment of that's been yeah. been pretty neat. So I love how we didn't intentionally do that, but how God's worked that out's been pretty neat. So balancing that on the other side, how does the law fit into Jesus' teaching about the kingdom? So He says, "I haven't come to abolish the law, but instead to fulfill it." Mm-hmm. So how does his how does that play out in his teachings of how the Christian should live? Well, I mean, everything that follows here is law. <laughs> it's it's. It's not the repudiation of it; it's the the greater fulfillment of it. As, as the illustration uh, I bring, Brother Ryle used earlier with the mm-hmm. the bud versus the full flower. So yeah, I mean, it, it, the church has understood that Jesus has fulfilled the law. He's fulfilled uh, the dietary aspect of the law. He's fulfilled the civic aspect of the law. There's still the moral law, which existed before the law was actually given there by Moses. Sure. So his teaching takes that moral law and just takes it to I mean, I don't even like saying takes it to another yeah. level, but uh, perhaps the best way of uh, a in the deeper moment, level, say, at least. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think that'd be better. A deeper level, because he's obviously, as we're about to discuss, he gets more to the heart of the issue. Yeah. He moves past um, the letter of the law. That's right. Yes, he, he gets more to the heart as the rest of the Sermon on the Mount will deal with, and really the rest of his teachings in general yeah. deals with. Um, so the church has long understood that uh, he he has fulfilled the law, and now we we rightly focus on what Jesus and Paul and the other writers of the Testament taught. It's not that we ignore the Old Testament. It's not that we, we don't go back to it, because we, we need the Old Testament. But I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, you're going to focus somewhere, and you're going to end up focusing on what Jesus taught. Yeah. And I think that's a yeah. wise thing for churches and for Christians to do. And right. if you deal with the heart, you're dealing with how people live, because yeah. uh, the old adage is, you may not always live what you say you believe, but you always live what you truly, truly believe. believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and there's, there's some truth in that. So. Yeah. The phrase that's going to get him uh, or get the Pharisees all riled up here. You've heard it said, but I say to you. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's going to expound on the law time and time again. And he makes an interesting statement here. He says that our righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. How can our righteousness... Because you look at the Pharisees, you go, man, they had righteousness down. Yeah. But did they? You know What How? What does he mean, and, and how can our righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees? Yeah, I mean, the Pharisees, by every measure of the eye, we're righteous people by our definition, by what we can uh, interpret. The problem is their hearts weren't in it. They were the very definition of rule followers. They followed the rules. They came up with more rules and followed those rules perfectly. 
but their heart was far from God, ultimately, at the end of the day. And that obviously did work out in their actions, and particularly the way they treated uh, the lowly and the downcast, the poor. In that sense, anyone who trusts in Jesus, you've already surpassed their righteousness. Because their righteousness was devoid of any sort of heart or any sort of love for God. It was just simply, let me follow these rules, let me look good, let me be good, let me be um, better and and more righteous than those around me. It was all self-righteousness. Yes, it was all self-righteousness. And R.C. Sproul said it like this. He said... uh, we we can do this by perfectly obeying by perfectly obeying God's law. Christ merited righteousness righteousness for those who trust in Him. We this we might call positional righteousness. Christ perfectly fulfilled the law in a way that the Pharisees, for all their scrupulousness, never could. And that flawless obedience counts for those who trust in Him, just as if they had perfectly kept the law themselves. Yeah. So it's a it's not an experientially keeping the law. You are positionally keeping the law. Yeah. Is is what his argument anyway? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, what you're saying, it, the only way that our righteousness can exceed that of anybody's is that we take on the righteousness of Christ. Yeah, you're you're basically trusting in the finished work of Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, you're he he's done the work. All you have to do is trust in that work. You're you're not still trying to work work it yourself, I guess. So, what is Jesus teaching us here about sin and the heart? It is simple. Uh, I mean, it's getting to the not a pun, but like to the heart of the matter. Like you know, um, your the condition of your heart. I mean, the actions flow from the heart, yeah. from from who you are. Yeah, because Jesus focused so much on the heart, because one, that's where your your actions flow, yeah. as as Pastor Shane said, and also if you get somebody's heart, you've got the rest of them. Right. You sure. can't keep the rest from it because where the heart goes, everything else is following. So it, your heart, your your imagination, your desires, your loves, yeah. um, the things that you at, at your core that you strive for and you try to achieve. If Jesus has that, then he's got everything else. Yeah, and he uses a couple powerful illustrations here to get this across. He said, you know, you've heard it said, do not murder. Mm-hmm. But I say, if you've hated your brother in your heart, you've murdered him already. And you're like, whoa, hold on, whoa. Yeah. I mean, literally, that's where it starts. I mean, you don't. Yeah, but see, the Pharisees would have only understood you... hand action, not yeah. heart action. Yeah. Right. And so they would have said, as long as it doesn't make its way out to my hands, it doesn't matter. And Jesus said, no, it's all about the heart. Yeah. Um, and then and, he I, says, and I think when he's talking about that, let's we have to understand the, the level of hate that he's he's necessarily talking about. It's not like somebody cuts you off in traffic, and in that moment, you're like, I hate that person. Like he's That's not necessarily not necessarily what he's talking about. Though it could lead to what he's talking yeah. about, we mm-hmm. we have to kind of make at least a slight see a slight difference in that. Yes, yeah. yeah. And then he goes on. He says, "If you've heard it said, do not commit adultery." Well, I say to you, if you've lusted after a woman, you've committed adultery. Whew, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. I heard a guy yeah, one time. He told me, "Well, I might as well go ahead and commit adultery. I've already <laughs> done it in my heart." I was like, "No, you like, have misunderstood. Like, that's that not at all, all what he's talking together. about." I mean, Jesus, he's just letting us know here that sin is a heart issue. Sure. It's not an action issue. And so if you want to sin, and in your heart you're committing that sin, you've committed it, you know? Um, In the eyes of God, it's, you know, and and which doesn't take us to go, okay, well, then I'm going to have to perfectly never hate somebody or never love. What it takes us to is go, man, I am a wretched sinner. Yes. Whether I have the self-control for that not to ever hit my hands or not, Mm -hmm. I am a wretched sinner. Sinner that needs Jesus, and I, that's that's what Jesus is trying to do is explain to us that these are heart issues. Mm-hmm. And man, did that ruffle some feathers? Nice. Because here are these Pharisees who were perfect, and now Jesus is going, "You're not as perfect as you think you are." That's right. Yeah. In fact, you're not perfect at all. Mm-hmm. You know? Okay. Like I often think that. Like I, I see, and and it's seemingly. You see some people that they just seemingly they're, they're, they don't really struggle with any kind of necessarily sin. It just seems like man, they're you know they're maybe they're just not worried as much about sin, yeah, or sure. maybe they're you know um, maybe they understand grace better than I do. But those conversations are hard because like I identify with people who struggle with sin much more than I identify with people who don't seem to struggle at least yeah. externally with sin because I'm like okay like. Like, cause we all struggle with sin, so I mean that's mm-hmm. that's that's a part of life. So I, I'm wondering, like, I, th- I think sometimes it's it's good to struggle with those sins. Like, I don't know, if that sounds kind of weird, but perhaps good can come from struggling with sin. Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, cause uh, it's the struggle with sin that often reminds me most, like, man, I really 
Like, oh, thank, well, see, that's it. Like, well, and like the struggle I, I, with seeing shows that you're actually trying. I, I think those people who are that, that I see most uh, expressively struggling mm-hmm. with sin, they seem to be the same people that are like, man, I really see I can't do this. Like, I can't be good enough. Like, yeah. you know, I, I, man, I'm just hopelessly sinful. Like, but then sometimes when you see people who you don't feel like they really struggle with any sin, or at least they don't express any kind of struggle with sin. I, and I'm not saying I doubt their salvation or anything like that. I, I think everybody has an individual walk, but uh, but sometimes I don't know if the vision is clear is clear there yeah. with in in that person, you know, because sure. they they do trust seemingly yeah. trust more. Like, hey, I'm, I'm you know, I, I don't really I don't really worry too much about sin. Like, maybe I worry too much, but I don't I don't yeah, know. Sure, sure. No, I, I maybe think, so too. And I also think it's valuable to remember. I mean, I only see so much of somebody else's life. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I'm saying, seemingly. Yeah. like, yeah. yeah, that's very true. So you don't know the battles of the heart. Mm. Sure. But, sure. I mean, sure. I think if you're not struggling with sin personally, then the only other alternative to that, there's two alternatives. One is that you've perfected your life, so hey. that's off the table. The other is that you just don't care and you've given into it. Yeah. And yeah. that, to me, is a sign of, not the presence of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. you know, because if you've got sin, the Holy Spirit's going to keep reminding you that it's there. Yeah, right. Uh, he does a pretty good job of that, yeah. and so it's going to keep the struggle um, going on. Jesus said, "So if you're offering a gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. Altar, first go and be reconciled with your brother or sister, and then come and offer the gift." Reach a, qu- a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on your way to court with him, or your adversary will hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the officer will be thrown into prison. Therefore, I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. How should we re- respond when we remember that our brother has wrong or has alt against us, or we've wronged our brother? We should, you know, want to reconcile. Basically, yeah, uh, we should. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, Jesus makes power. It, it hinders your worship. I mean, that, yeah, but here's the thing. It doesn't necessarily say you're in the wrong or they're in the wrong. It yeah, just right. says they have something against you. So you, in the Old Testament, if this narrative comes up, it says, hey, go give them, you know, three goats and two chickens, or it'll, it'll tell you exactly how to reconcile. But here it mm-hmm. says, hey, you need to go make that right. Like there's, yeah. there's something between you and your brother or you and your sister in Christ. And so, and we have to remember, he, he's talking about, our, I, I believe he's talking about our brothers and sisters in Christ not necessarily all people, if if that makes sense. Oh, sure. So I, I think you're, you're supposed to go make it right. And sometimes, I mean, you apologize even if you're not the one in the wrong because you want to, you have yeah. this yeah. this deep yearning to, to be reconciled. Right. Uh, and, and just so you all know, whenever you have to apologize or make things right, don't say, well, I'm sorry, but you, and you know, then go into why you made me do this or say that or or whatever. Like it, so it's like it's not an apology at like, all. Like, yeah, like it's really your fault, but I'm going to apologize because I'm the bigger person. Like that's the opposite of what reconciliation looks sure. like. Just so yeah. you know, we had somebody um, in our first church we served in. She come to apologize to us, and she apologized that way. She said, <laughs> and she came to Ashley to our house, and yeah. she said, "I'm sorry, but," and she went on this long explanation. Yeah, there's and, always a but. And in my there. wife. You know, she she's pretty decent about controlling her tongue sometimes, but this time she she said, "So what you're saying is you're not sorry at all. You're just sorry that I'm mad at you, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm, like, yeah, that's my, I'm sorry for the consequences, but like if I had to do it all over again, I would do the exact same thing. Like yeah. that's that's the opposite of reconciling. You know? Yeah, that that is very true. And you know, again, here's that nagging presence of the Holy Spirit that reminds us. And you know, and that's when Jesus. I don't think it's a coincidence. You're at the altar and you remember." Right, hey, you know the Holy Spirit's kind of hey, and reconciliation looks different in all situations. Mm-hmm. It's not just oh, it's, sure. we talked about just hey saying that you're sorry, but sometimes the reconciliation re- it requires a cost from you. Sometimes it's just saying you're yeah. sorry. Sometimes it may be like um, you think I cheated you out of something. So Jesus, whenever Zacchaeus, when Jesus going to go to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was like, hey. Anybody who I've wronged, I'm just going to give them four times, you know, what I wronged them. Like, I, I want to, he yeah. he desired that reconciliation. So sometimes 
it may cost you, you it may cost a sacrifice on your behalf yeah. in order to reconcile. Mm-hmm. Jesus goes on in verse 30 and says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. That's that's why I only got one eye. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown in hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off mm. and throw mm. it away. Now, there have been people that have read these verses very literally. Yeah, I did, man. That's why I took my yeah, eye. Yeah, but I mean, no. I, I remember when we were in Bible college. I can't remember the guy who, but somebody literally cut their eye out because they couldn't yeah. quit lusting. And um, people have literally cut their hands off. Yeah. So how, how do we really interpret these verses? Because I don't think Jesus wants Well, first to, of all, it's hyperbole. Yeah. We have to understand that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, first of all, what he's demonstrating through this use of hyperbole is the severity of sin, first of all, that sin is very severe and sometimes our measures to eradicate sin will be drastic. Mm-hmm. You know, like like if depending on what like maybe maybe I don't need a TV in my house because of you know that's causing me to sin or mm-hmm. or something like that or and I think there's limits to those sort of things. Oh, sure. So I, I know one guy who was uh, going to divorce his wife or live separate from his wife because uh, she wasn't a Christian and that was causing him to sin, like miss church and things like that. He I'm was like, going to cut off his spouse. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm like, no. And so he come to me. I, w- I mean, I wasn't a pastor at that time, but I was just working at the cotton mill. And so he come to me. I was like, no, that's that's not at all what the scripture is. Yeah. You know, there's, there's limits to that sort of thing because mm-hmm. this passage isn't dealing with the relationship between you and your wife. There's other passages yeah. that deal with that, but that's not this yeah. passage. This is talking about a brother or sister in Christ. Well, and there is really um, practical advice here. So let's say, example, let's say you can't quit looking at pornography on your phone. Then maybe you should get rid of your phone. Yeah. I mean, that that's a really practical mm-hmm. yeah. thing. Well, that's what uh, I'm saying, like with you yeah. know, maybe TV or something. Yeah, like you know, I mean, whatever it is, yeah. but... Jesus is literally, listen, if you're listening to this podcast and you ever had this thought, Jesus is not telling you to pluck your eye out, so please don't do that. Yeah. And I only say that because people have done that. Sure. Um, and it also reminds us of the importance of reading the Bible as it is. Not every everything is true, but not every type of writing is literal. Like yes, you Shane says, it's hyperbole right. um, as well. And, so, and I think Jesus' point gets across loud and clear. And then Jesus finishes this section by talking about Divorce. What is Jesus teaching us about divorce in these last few verses? And, you know, divorce is a complicated issue. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is. It really is. Um, What I think he is doing, because, was it Matthew, maybe like 18, 19? 19. 19, He talks more clearly on the topic of marriage and divorce. Mm -hmm. Um, This, I don't think this is meant to be a comprehensive teaching on divorce. I think what he's trying to do is rectify, and this is kind of a common understanding of this yeah. verse. Mm-hmm. He's trying to rectify a misunderstanding about divorce because, um, you know, that's why he talks about getting the certificate of divorce. Like that's right. Yeah. They yeah. were able to do that for, most people say, any and every reason. Um, I think even a rabbi once said, even if she burned your dinner, you were justified. And he said, right. no, like, no, like all these other things you're getting divorced for, yeah. like, because you just don't like her or, or she did something wrong or yeah. whatever. She embarrassed you, whatever the case may be. Like, those are not like, right. you know, he, he's trying to, he's trying to, I think, promote a more strict, see, they had a very liberal view of yeah. divorce then. Because they were just and, following the letter of the law, which right. said they could get us right. And so he's yeah. like, okay, we, we we need to tighten this up. It's, it's a more strict uh, yeah. understanding. And he mm-hmm. talks about sexual morality, and 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 if we take scripture as a whole, that broadening is like I yeah. said, Matthew chapter nineteen. It's 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 broad. So chapter so seven. we're not going mm-hmm. to the, first. We're not going to this particular section to get a comprehensive understanding of Christ's view on divorce. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Jesus isn't teaching on divorce here. He's teaching on the heart. Right. Exactly. You know, that's that's context, the context. context he's context. teaching on the heart. He's not teaching. And there are teachings. In, I mean, like you said, um, Matthew 19, he talks more specifically about mm-hmm. um, divorce. But again, it's not a comprehensive teaching. You sure. got to yeah. um, put that in context with Paul's writings mm-hmm. on divorce as mm-hmm. well. Um, I do think that, you know, we take away that divorce is a serious issue. Um, I remember uh, Brother Terry Forrest, a professor at Bible College, saying this. Um, he said, please remember, anytime you teach, preach on divorce, 
that nobody on earth hates divorce more than somebody that's been divorced. Yeah, that's absolutely they, true. They, there's a lot of pain and hurt there, and nobody yeah. goes to divorce and go, you know what, divorce is a good thing. Yeah. He said, so make sure you don't beat the downtrodden yeah. um, I, when you I had someone tell me divorce. one time, I, I was talking to a, a lady in my, my first church, I was talking to her, and um, she, she had been divorced. And I I was just trying to get a better understanding. Like, I don't, because I, you know, I didn't know that, that struggle. And she said emotionally how she felt as if somebody had died in her family. She yeah. said that yeah. was emotionally, well, that's I mean, how it felt. Very well, because two become one. A new flesh is born yeah. when a marriage happens. And so when divorce happens, I mean, it's yes. the taking well, of that, that life, that, that new life. Well, see, that changed at least my... I don't think it changed my theological views, but I think what it did was it it changed how. So from there on out, whenever I uh, had to counsel or do anything, and somebody had been divorced, I treated them as if somebody in their family had died. Yeah. Like that, it it changed my dealings. True. Like yeah. so, I'm like, okay, w- would I say this or do this if their dad had just died? Yeah, yeah. Like, right. like, no. So, you know, it, I think it's more empathy, more compassion, more, more all of these things. Absolutely. And, mm-hmm. and less judgment. Cause I, it just, I don't, it stood out to me whenever she said that. Yeah, and, sure. um, and she, I mean, she was very serious about it. It wasn't just, it wasn't a flippant statement for mm-hmm. her, you know? Yeah. So. yeah. I mean, I think we even talked about this the other day when we were preparing for this uh, podcast is like you could spend a whole podcast talking about this. And that's not the purpose of uh, this season or this episode. Um, or the passage we're looking or at. Or the passage we're looking at. Right. But it, yeah, divorce is obviously an, an awful and terrible thing. And what was happening at this time, as Pastor Shane already commented on, it was by the letter of the law, Moses said you just have to provide her a written certificate or whatever. So there was all these men, that's precisely what they were doing. They would get tired of a wife, get aggravated with her, want one that was younger and prettier, because, again, they didn't date back then. (laughs) Marriage was mostly a a contract type thing. So they would just write a certificate, and she would be on her own, and she she didn't live in a modern society where she could just go find a job. A lot of them would have to live on the street. That's what everybody quotes that passage from Malachi about how God hates divorce or whatever. But if you go back and you read that in context, that's exactly what was happening. The Israelites were coming back from being in captivity, they had foreign wives that they had married while they were there. They came back, and they realized that other people looked down on them because they had foreign wives. It's like, well, okay, i got to get rid of this gal and get me a nice Hebrew gal. And that's precisely what they're doing. And then these women would have no one to take care of them. They would have yeah. to live on the streets right. and be awful. So uh, that's the context you always have to keep this in mind. In. And then even Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, he takes and applies it in passages that if Jesus was trying to be complete here, then what Paul says in 1 Corinthians in First Corinthians seven is contradictory what Christ said, and if that's right. the case, we just got to throw all this away. It's all a lie. So right. I think that's it's just being kind, as Pastor Shane was using the example with the woman he used to talk to, and I had the same example with a woman in Texas or wherever she came to me. She was mulling the, a divorce because her husband had abandoned her by every definition of abandonment, and she didn't know if that was good or right or wrong, and I tried to help her through that. And that's the idea, is that you just have to be compassionate with people, yeah, because no one is no one's doing this because they want to. It's a hard, difficult situation. I do think there are times and places where people shouldn't get remarried. I think there's a time and places where people can get remarried. Sure. I think you have to take it by yeah. a case-to-case basis and try as best you can to take all the passages of Scripture and apply them evenly and kindly and graciously. Yeah. So here's where I land. One, if you're not divorced, don't get divorced. I think maybe some very wise words to young couples is to, and my wife and I did this the day we got married, we talked about it. Divorce was off the table. Yeah. No, And we, we use this phrase, time, no matter what the issue, divorce isn't the answer for us. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, we've talked about that. Even even if you face biblical, di- biblical exemptions of divorce, mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. say, you know, no matter what, divorce is off the table. Yeah. And so I think for young couples, for older couples, you know, allow that to be part of your discussion is we're going to take divorce off the table and we're not going to let it. So if you're not divorced, don't get divorced. If you are divorced, God's forgiveness and grace and restoration are there and they're possible. And they, so it, it doesn't become this stigma that you have to live with. It doesn't become this weight or this burden that you have to carry for the rest of your life. God is willing to forgive and restore and to redeem as he is with all other walks of life. Isn't it interesting? A lot of times people won't apply that to the previous passage about lust. Yes. 
But if you were applied in them evenly, you would have to say the same thing about anybody who's ever lusted at somebody. You've committed adultery. Yeah. You got your, your claws there. If you're looking by the letter of the law, there's your claws. Very interesting. All right. We'll be back in just a minute for our deep dive. deep dive. And for our deep dive, we're just going to kind of go a little more under the surface with some of these issues that Jesus was talking about. What is the overarching theme that Jesus is teaching about sin and the heart with these issues of murder, forgiving your brothers and sisters, reconciliation, lust, divorce, all these different things? And why is it easier to focus on the hands as the Pharisees were doing instead of the heart, which is what Jesus was calling us to do? I mean, I don't see anybody else's heart. Yeah, I know that's a fairly obvious answer, but it's, yeah. it's worth noting. I mean, I can see what you do. I, I can't see what's going on in your heart unless you I- express it to me. Um, and even that, I mean, how good is how good are we at expressing what we're only what's going on in our own hearts and minds? And, uh, sometimes we do a good job. Sometimes we do a poor job. So I mean, mm-hmm. I think to cut the Pharisees a little bit of slack because they obviously don't get slack very often. Cut them a little bit of slack. I, I can kind of understand that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's so you can fake the hands. That's also true. You yeah. can't fake the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, so in other words, the hands can be doing the right thing when the heart's the wrong way place. But if the That's heart's true. in the right place, the hands will follow mm-hmm. with the right actions. A lot of times, maybe that the hand thing is, is easier. Oh, right? yeah. That's a good point, too. It's yeah. absolutely it's easier, easier to, to address actions than it is heart motives and yeah. intentions. Um, and to be honest, I mean, so often I, th- I think that's why some people are confused on the gospel. Is because we've made it more about that. In other words, like this, like, and this is an illustration again. I stole it from somebody. They stole it from somebody who stole it from somebody. So nothing new under the sun. So anyway, getting that out of the way, here, here's how the illustration went. If you're going to share the good news, it needs to be good news. But tell me if this sounds familiar. So often the church has done a b- bad job at making the good news good news. If we say, hey, man, I got really good news for you. And they say, man, what's the good news? It's like, you need to straighten up. <laughs> that, that doesn't sound like good news. Like, yeah. um, Or, hey, I got really good news. Like, you're a bad person. Like, that, none of that. It sounds like bad news. It sounds like obligations. It sure. it doesn't sound like. But if I said, just an example, like if I said, hey, man, I, I got some really good news. And you're like, man, what's what's the good news? Like, uh, I got audited. I owe a lot of. No, that doesn't sound like good news at all. But if I said, hey, man, I got really good news. Somebody just gave me a sports car. That sounds like really good news. Yeah. I, I think in in that same vein, we should make the good news actually good news, not an obligation. Like all these other things, they'll you know the works, the behavior, all that. Mm-hmm. That that's all sanctification things, and and they're they're they are important, and they do follow, but they're not the good news. Um, yeah. If you want to share good news with someone, make sure that it's good news because good news goes to the heart. It doesn't go to just the actions. I mean, but so often we're like, hey, I got good news for you. You're like, what's the good news? Like, well, you need to get back in church. Like, No, that sounds like I'm giving up a Sunday. It doesn't sound like good news. Make sure you're clear whenever you present the good news because I believe the good news should go to the heart, not to, hey, you got to go to church and be a better person. But here's the deal. For so long, that I believe that's kind of what many in the church were proclaiming was the good news. Go to church and be a good person, and, man, you'll achieve the good news. Now, I think their intent was they had – I think they had a good motive maybe because yeah. they wanted, hey, if I can get them in church, you know, the preacher will preach the gospel to them and they'll get saved. I believe that was the intent behind it, but – yeah. But that's not what the people heard. The people heard, I got to go to church and be a good person. So what they yeah. do, they started going to church and were a good person. And then when their life didn't change necessarily for the better, and they, they're like, yeah, I'm just giving up. All I'm doing is yeah. giving up a Sunday. I could be fishing or something or playing golf. Mm-hmm. So. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of times one of the most common reasons for our failure, uh, one of the most common reasons for uh, sin in our own lives, particularly sins against other people, is that we just fail to love them. So 
when you want someone that changes their act, is it really for their betterment or is it because it just makes you feel better? It feels like I've had this effect on you. So that's sometimes what has gotten us in trouble is that we, we just want people to show up church so they can have the same opinions I do, so they can have the same beliefs I do, do the same things that I do. They can act the way I think they should act. And then as long as that, well, then they're good. But that doesn't only deal with the heart of the matter, which is sure. a real righteousness that Christ has imparted to us. And that is a radical change, and that requires a total and complete commitment. And one of those commitments is I have to love somebody for who they are, full stop. I don't say, I can love you once you change. Like, no, I have to love you. Right. Just like J- Jesus loved the whole world, knowing full and well that the vast majority of the world, the vast majority of the people that he died for, will never actually turn for him. Yeah, people are not projects. Yeah. And that, that's exactly it. We, we tend to treat people like they're projects, yeah. and it's hard to really actually love them. Well, and, you know, getting to the heart of the matter, um, I think Bill Hull did a, a good job explaining this. He was talking about, in his book, Conversion and Discipleship, he was talking about this time his wife called him over something minor, I don't remember what it was, and he, he, like, flew off the handle at her, and he just lost his temper, had a lot going on and different things, and, you know, kind of yelled at her and different things. And he said he hung up the phone, and he said, I was tempted at first just to call her and apologize. He said, but instead, I went to God and said, God, why am I the kind of person that would respond that way? And he said, of course, eventually I went to my wife and apologized. He said, but an apology didn't, that fixed the action. It didn't fix the heart. And so he went to, I went to God and was like, God, what, what inside my heart makes me the kind of person that would respond this way? And I think sometimes in our, self, in our sin, in our situations, our lives, we do the same thing. We go, okay, we should do the same thing. Not just, oh God, I'm sorry that I did this or I looked at this. You yeah, will say, I why, took why this. do they make me act like this? Yes. But instead, <laughs> get into the heart of the matter. God, why do I respond? God, why do I? And, you know, we talked about this in our men's group this morning. Mm-hmm. Why do I keep running to this thing that's mm-hmm. fulfilling me partially? Like, why do I long after, mm-hmm. um, you know, and the guy in the book this morning used pornography as an example. Why do I long after pornography? Um, like what's, what's the deep heart issue that's going on here? And again, it's so much easier to go, well, let me try to work on my actions. Let me put a filter on my computer so I don't look at pornography instead of going, well, well, put a filter on my heart. What's going on here? You know, why am I doing this? Why, why am I seeking after the pleasures of this world? Yeah. I mean, both are, both are good. But the the thing is, if you fix the hands, but you don't fix the heart, you've never fixed the issue. That's right. That's right. And so I think that's really, really important. Now that's ultimately what Jesus is teaching us here is that the heart matters. When we look at the kingdom of God, the heart is what matters. The law is pointing to our wickedness in our heart, and Jesus came to fulfill us and give us purpose and righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees. That's our deep dive for today. We'll be back in just a minute for our takeaway. We are back to wrap up this episode of the Wordsmith Podcast. What are you guys' big takeaways or maybe something you think we maybe missed over during this episode? I think my takeaway is we kind of have been talking about the entire episode, but uh, dealing with um, heart matters and not necessarily actions, though it does. I mean, they're talking a lot about the actions in here, about um, reconciling with other people, about divorce, about lust, about all these things. But the the one part that stood out the most to me, uh, and I jokingly was talking about because, uh, you know, I uh, can't see, I don't, I'm blind in one of my eyes, was the verse when he says, you know, if your right eye causes you, and it's actually my right eye, but if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out because it's, it's better for you to go into heaven one eye than to hell with both basically sure, sure. is kind of the intent of it and i think it's sin requires drastic measures in our life because sin is a very serious thing mm-hmm. and sin start he's talking about sin starts in the heart it doesn't start in the action it starts in the heart and then boils over to the actions but in the heart is the more severe 
case is the the actions aren't he's not wasting as much time on the actions the the severe part is the is the heart and the 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 you know the actions is the, is the minor because they'll follow the heart mm-hmm. um so sometimes we have to take drastic measures to battle sin in our own lives yeah yeah i think uh for me kind of borrow a little bit from what Pastor Shane was saying, is that the idea that sin's born out of the heart, born out of our evil desires. Likewise, I mean, the righteousness that Christ gives us starts in the heart and then works its way to our actions or whatever. Sure. Um, and it's sometimes in my own life, I, I can settle for just doing the quote-unquote right thing, doing the kind thing, doing the quote-unquote righteous thing or whatever, and just ignore the heart part. Because the heart is one, it's harder. It's harder to know. Like Jeremiah says, uh, the heart is deceitful above all things. Everybody knows that part, but they forget the second part, which says, who can know it or who can understand it? Yeah. Uh, which means not only is it hard to understand somebody else's heart, which is normally how that verse is uh, applied, sometimes it's hard to understand my own heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is hard work to figure out why. why do I turn to this thing? Why do I respond this way? Why why am I so angry about this when someone does this? Or why 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 do I get sad when someone does this? Da 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 da. That's really hard work and it's not easy, but ultimately I think that's what Christ's righteousness enables us to do. And I think that ultimately makes us better neighbors and, and better followers of Christ by really getting to that heart manner as we already kind of discussed earlier. Yeah. My final thoughts would be just a word of encouragement because I'm one of the things I always try to do when we're studying the Scripture, especially teach it or preach it, is to keep the people in front of me, in my mind, the people sure. that we minister to here. And a couple of thoughts on that. One, when you read this and you hear this and you listen to it, there's no way to come across from it without realizing our hearts are wicked. And we can do two things with that. One, we could add on to the list of the laws of the Pharisees and go, okay, well, now I've got a whole other list of things that, I'm trying to keep is to make my heart pure and to do this and to do that, to make sure that I don't hate my brother, to make sure I don't lust, to make sure. And, and in essence, we end up doing the same thing that the Pharisees did. The other way to respond is to go, man, I need Jesus. Man, I need Jesus. And that's the, that's the point of what Jesus is getting us to here is to realize that our hearts need Jesus. So I say that to say don't beat yourself up so much that you go, Man, now, not only are my hands wicked, my heart is too. And instead, go, man, I need Jesus. I need God's Spirit. I need His guidance. And so you lean in to that. The second thing, I, I thought about um, several people that I know in our church and people outside of our church that have situations in their life where they've tried to reconcile with people. Maybe they either wronged somebody or they were perceived to have wronged somebody, and they've went to that person, they've apologized, they've been over backwards, they've tried to make reconciliation, and for whatever reason, that reconciliation has not happened. It's not been possible. And it doesn't mean it won't always be possible, but I just want to say a word of encouragement to you. If you've went through those efforts, I don't think you can't not go back to the altar. You can't, not, you can't allow that to continue um, to hinder your worship. Because, again, the point of this is about your heart. And so if you've went to make those things right, and they're not right on the other end, you've done all you can do. Now, that's not to say make an excuse go, well, I apologized in a roundabout way, and that didn't make it right. Sure. But don't carry the burden. I guess my takeaway is this. Don't carry burdens you don't have to carry. Don't carry weights. Because Jesus' teaching was not to weigh us down. It was to bring us freedom. And the freedom only comes in his spirit, through his forgiveness, through his mercy, his grace, and ultimately his sacrifice on the cross. Thank you for listening to us on the Wordsmith Podcast. No matter how you listen to the Wordsmith, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, almost anywhere the podcasts are played. We thank you for listening to us, like us, share us, review us, and we'll be back next week for another episode of The Words. Podcast.